man, I'm walking like Grandpa McCoy still. How many of you remember Grandpa McCoy? Yeah, Walter Brennan, what about that? Never thought I'd be like him when I got old. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm calling this my Death of the Man of God series. Death of the Man of God series. Before we even read this, let me just mention, God calls a number of people men of God in the Old Testament. It is a term that is also used in the New Testament. It is a good term. It does not mean that the person is sinless. It does not mean that he's perfect. It does mean that God had used him. As a matter of fact, several of the men of God, including the one that we're dealing with in this series of messages, uh, he's called the man of God more than any other man in the scripture. And we don't know his name. God doesn't tell us his name. But he disobeys God in one thing, and God has a lion kill him. Say, well, that's, that doesn't sound like man of God, then it's a good term. No, it's a good term. It's just you need to understand it right. There are a lot of people among independent Baptists who are mocking the term man of God today. And it's nothing to be mocked. It's a biblical term. You know, there are a lot of words that are great Bible words that people, you take the word repent. I mean, it's a Bible word. It's in the Bible several times. The Bible says a lot about it. Uh, now, what I don't hear a lot of people say is that it, it uses the word in the Scripture concerning the lost, and it uses the word in the Scripture concern, also concerning the saved. There is a difference in the two, by the way, but nevertheless a basic meaning there. So I'm not going to get off on that tonight because we got a lot to cover. Uh, we're going to start where we started last time when we preached the first in this series of messages. I started thinking about uh, the passage in 1 Kings chapter 13, for several weeks, and I don't know, there were just some things that came out, a man who prophesied, a king who cried, a prophet who lied, and a man of God who died. And I was going to preach that all in just one message. And the more I got to thinking about it, though, but it doesn't begin with God calling the man of God going to the northern kingdom to pronounce a judgment upon the altar that's built by Jeroboam as the very first president or king of, uh, of the northern kingdom. Uh, and I thought, you know, it really goes all the way back to Solomon. Because had Solomon done right, there never would have been any need for the man of God to go to the northern kingdom and preach on this stuff. Right. Solomon is the one who messed up. But he was not the last one to mess up. As a matter of fact, there's a bunch of mess ups in this whole story by people who should have known a whole lot better than what they did. And the more I got to thinking about it, I had prophesied, cried, lied, died. Well, the message last time was wisdom denied. Tonight, it's going to be, what's it going to be tonight? It's going to be the king's pride. And then we're going to talk about the nation's divide. I mean, the more I think about this, the more of those things I keep coming up with. So it's, it's just as fresh to me as what it is to you. You haven't even heard it yet, okay? And this is, you've only heard the one message to get us started. So 1 Kings chapter 11, notice verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them. Neither shall they come in unto you, 
For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Now, he tells us right here in the second verse, God had already spoken about this. Long before Solomon ever did it, God had spoken about this. What we find Solomon, the king, chosen by God in the line of David, king that God gave scripture to, a king that God promised to bless because of the way he prayed back in chapter 3, openly disobedient to God's word. And there's going to be a man of God down the line that's going to die, and it all starts right here. We continue. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Now, you understand what the main issue is. The main issue is the heart. By the way, the main issue in everybody's life here is your heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And then it's Solomon who told us how to keep our hearts. He said, put away from you a froward mouth. He said, let your eyes look right on. He says, keep the path of thy feet. He told us how to keep our heart. He lost his. The guy who told us how to keep our heart lost his heart. Disobedience to God. You want to keep your heart, you're going to have to obey God. Oh, preacher, and it's not that important. I'm saved by grace. No, because you've been saved by grace, it ought to be easier for you to keep God's word than what it was the people back in the Old Testament. You've got the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You've got all 66 books of the Bible. They didn't have it. We have no excuse to walk in our own way. Young people, you understand that. You singles, you need to understand that. You have no excuse. You've got the Bible. It's very clear. You, we see what happens to people who decide they're going to do their own thing. We continue. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Uh, then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh and the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed unto their gods. The Lord was angry with Solomon. Now, notice the next three words, because his heart. Now, a couple of things. This is just some opening comments about, about the situation here. The Lord was what? Does the Lord get angry? Yes, he does. Was Solomon one of his people? Yes, he was. God gets angry with his people. He tells us in the Psalms, so much so did he get angry with the children of Israel many times that he would abhor his own inheritance. And how many times, for instance, when Moses was leading him through the wilderness, did God want to take Israel out? And if Moses hadn't prayed, we'd be calling them Moses over there today and not Israel. I mean, this is amazing stuff right here. God does get angry. He gets angry with his people. Anyway, it says, The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he 
should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Now, we're starting with Solomon in this story. We're starting because here's where it all begins. Here's where his kingship and his disobedience to God is going to cost the kingdom from David's line. It's going to go to the line of Jeroboam for a while. And then we're going to find somebody's going to be taking him out because of his disobedience to the word of God. When I give a title to the message tonight, uh, The King's Pride, I put the kings in plural. We've got three kings we're dealing with tonight. And in all three cases, it was the pride of their position that unfortunately they followed after. Solomon starts out right. He starts out as a servant to the people. But you get later in his life, and by the way, God says early in his ministry, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But in the latter part of his ministry, he tells us he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So here's a man who first did good and then did evil. Here's a lesson. I want you to get it. When somebody falls, some deacon falls, some pastor falls uh, and gets into sin, people want to say, well, I'll bet they were just always like that. Man, don't be so naive. People do change. And all you have to do is start making some wrong decisions. And you're going to find yourself doing things that you never thought you would do. I'll guarantee you when Solomon got the blessings of God on him in chapter 3 of 1 Kings, he had no idea the mess that he was going to create that would hurt hundreds of thousands of people. And yet, that's exactly what he did. So Solomon's pride. Now, it begins back in chapter 3. So let's go ahead and go back there. Uh, we don't see him proud. We see him very humble. We see him with a servant's heart in 1 Kings chapter 3. And notice just the verses 5 through 9. We're going to look at a lot of verses tonight. And so if you'll listen quick, I'll try to talk quick. It says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and an upright of heart with thee, and thou hast kept for him his great kindness, and thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people thou cannot be, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. 
For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. So here we find a man with a very humble heart. He's a king, but he understands something about his kingship. He is supposed to be there for the people. You know, I wonder, this is something that was being said back during the time when America was beginning to pull away from England. And one of the arguments that they had against King George over in England is that when a king, or when people no longer have a king, they're still a people. But when a king no longer has a people, is he still the king? Now, see, here's a man. He is serving his people. By the way, what do we call pastors? What, what's the term that's used for pastors? It's minister. Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The pastor is supposed to be here for the people, not necessarily to do what they want. But if they're not careful, they get like Solomon and it becomes, what are the people doing for me? It needs to be, if you're going to minister, you're a Sunday school teacher, that doesn't mean you just lord over the people that are in your Sunday school class. You're there to be a help to them. You're there to give them what they need. Some people can't handle a position because somehow they think that that means I ought to get so much honor and people ought to be doing for me. Get your mind off that and realize you have a responsibility to serve others. Now, here Solomon gets that early on. But then he goes from a person who is humble in prayer to being pride in, or proudful in, in power. And that's where a great mistake is made. His relationship with God was great. God's promises and warnings were absolutely awesome. But we get to chapter 9 and we find that even though he had God's promises, he also had God's prohibitions. And for somehow, something happened between the time in chapter 3 to later where he begins to think, hey, I'm king. And God may have said some things about being a king. You remember we covered those a couple of weeks ago that uh, the kings were not to uh, multiply horses to themselves. They were not to multiply gold to themselves. And they were not to multiply wives to themselves. The king was to read the Bible. They were to read it through. They were to, every year, they were to read it through. Now, they didn't have as big a Bible as what we have today, but it should have been easier to do, you would have thought. He was to know how to lead his people. He would find that out in the scripture. So what does he do? He adds, he multiplies horses to himself, multiplies riches to himself in gold, and he multiplies wives to himself. He does exactly what God said not to do, and the thing happened to him, what God said would happen to a king that would disobey in that area. You're not going to beat God. Do you understand that? Adults, you're not going to beat God. You understand this, teenage? You're not going to beat God. You're not going to say no to God's word and it not cost you in your life. 
You want your best life now? Obey God. You don't need psychology for your best life now. You need to obey God's word. That's how you get your best life now. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, at this point, Solomon has made the right moves. When, we, when we're done with chapter 3, he has made all the right moves. He's little in his own eyes. God has blessed him, given him some promises, but something changed. Now, if you want to see the outcome of the change, keep your hand here in 1 Kings and go over to the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we see an older Solomon. As a matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, this is a man who is getting near death. He's known God all these years, but he's not praying for wisdom anymore for, to be a servant to the people. Notice how he had begun to spend his life in his latter years. Look at verse 3. He says, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Now notice this. Notice I and me. I and me. He says, I made me great works. I, I made, I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. So I had great possessions, small and cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me silver and gold. It's one of the things God said he wanted to do. Hmm. And the peculiar treasure of kings of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great. It's not about us being great. God's great. And we're to be exalting him. Solomon understood that in chapter 3. He says, so I was great and increased more than all that were in before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever, get this, look at this, whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the portion of all my labor. Now, the result of this kind of a life, here's what it comes down to, verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. He's basically saying, I have wasted my life. Here's a man that snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory. Here's a man. Here is a man that he had pleased the Lord early on. And now he has been bent going through all of chapter 2 on pleasing himself, on getting the things he wants. He's got a bucket list that's more important than serving God. Would to God we get some people, we get some preachers, we get some evangelists, we get some deacons, we'd have people that their bucket list, number one on it, is to please God. Amen. That ought to be the first thing. 
I got, now, you know, I've seen the Grand Canyon, but if, I've never, if I would never see the Grand Canyon, see in heaven, it, how do you think the Grand Canyon is going to compare with heaven? I mean, that's just going to be a dirt pile over there. That, I, I tell you what the Grand Canyon is going to be like compared to heaven. Go out here to the south side of the building and look at the property just beyond the parking lot. That's the Grand Canyon compared to heaven. This guy, he becomes a big loser. Just a big loser. This is terrible. He's like Demas. We find Demas in the scripture. He's a, he's a, a, a co-laborer with the apostle Paul. He's a fellow uh, prisoner with the apostle Paul. But the last reference to Demas, the scripture says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He fell in love with the things that he saw. He had traveled. He had served God. And here he was. He ends up a failure. Why? Well, he didn't know the verses that would be written by John in 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. By the way, James chapter 4 and verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. You want to have some wisdom that's good wisdom? Do right in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, don't walk in and say, well, I don't see what's wrong with it. Oh, you're going by your judgment now and not God's. When you start getting like that, you are sowing the seeds for your own defeat. God's word had been very clear about what the kings were not to do. And this man has gotten so proudful in all that he has, in all that he had done. He's seeking for more things for himself. And he disobeys Deuteronomy chapter 17, 14 through 20. He lost his heart. He showed his defiance against the wisdom of God to think that he could decide what's right and wrong. Well, he's king. He had some spiritual things. Listen, if God's used you in some spiritual ministry, you've been a help to people, there's been some major success. You always understand this one thing. God did it. God did it. You don't have to lift yourself up. Listen, Bible says, them that honor me, I will honor. You honor him, he'll give you all the honor that you need. We need to be here to please him. But his pride here has gotten him so that he's no longer doing what's right in the Lord's eyes. He's doing what's right in his own eyes. Now that leads us to Rehoboam, his son. Look at this. Go over to 1 Kings chapter 12 and notice verses 3 through 10. 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 3 through 10. Now, here you had the first one, Solomon. Starts out right, ends up wrong. Now we got his son. Son's 41 years of age. And in chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, it says, And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter. Now, underline this, and we will serve thee. We'll serve you. Make it a little lighter. 
And he said unto them, Depart ye for three days, and then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with who? Old men. Let me ask you a question. Is that who he ought to be consulting with first? Who do you think he ought to be consulting with first? Yeah, he ought to be consulting with God first. Now, I, I think he's right in going to the old men for some counsel. But the first one we ought to be seeking is God. Now, here he is. He goes to the old men. Okay, and they give some good counsel. It says, uh, counseled with the old, consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, how do ye advise that I may answer this people? And he spake unto him, they spake unto him saying, if thou will be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. Now that sounds pretty promising because you remember they said you make things lighter we'll serve you we'll serve you they weren't against service they were willing to serve him now he's 41 years old he's basically a young man this is his first opportunity to be king and rightfully so that he would be the king he's the son of king solomon and when he's presented with the problem, he goes to the old men. But notice the next verse. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that were grown up, these are men he ran with. These are men who basically only knew what he knew. They didn't have the experience of living a while and seeing a real king when he was a real king. The, the men that he talked with first in dealing with the older counselors, they saw the result of Solomon going from wanting to be a servant to the people to living for himself. They saw the result of that lifestyle upon the people. Now here they are asking for it to be a little lighter. They said, hey man, you go ahead, you lighten up with these folks and they'll serve you forever. That sounds like a plan. He rejects it. And he hears from the young men what young men often do. They want to rule by force and cruelty. The very things that God pronounced his fivefold curse on the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 34. With force and with cruelty, you have ruled them. What a mistake. You'd have thought he'd have gotten it. But he says, what counsel give ye unto me uh, that we may answer this people? Make the, and verse 10, and the young men which were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou, uh, make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I'll add to your yoke. My father had chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. 
Sounded good to him. Listen, teenagers, you want to know about what the future should withhold? Don't go to your buddies to find out what you ought to be doing. Go to somebody that's been around a while that has a little bit of wisdom. I'll tell you why people run to their buddies that are in the same experience. People that don't have any wisdom, they go to the buddies because they know the buddies will tell them. They think like they do. They've had the same experiences and they've missed all the experiences. For instance, we've got a group, I've got a generation in this nation that is enamored, enamored with socialism. But there's a bunch of us in here, old time, old fashioned Americans who've lived in a country that has kept people around the world free by our own blood. We understand something about socialism and communism. We understand about the 40 million Chinese that died at the hand of Mao Zedong. We understand the thousands upon thousands in Europe and in Russia and in other places that were murdered by Nazi Germany, socialist. We hate it. And some of these young people, they go off to these secular colleges and they've got socialist teachers there that are teaching them that this is wonderful. Everybody's the same. That's not what socialism is after. We know it. We're not fooled by it. You need to listen to some people who've had some experiences and seen some things that you've not seen. Get your counsel from the godly. Singles, you need to do that too. You've heard me say there was a time, I can remember this, people, they had major decisions to make, whether it was somebody that they were thinking about marrying or uh, things like that, uh, whether not to buy a house, whether not take a job someplace else. They'd come in and ask the pastor, uh, Pastor, I'd really value your counsel. Uh, Would you help me out with this? Well, tell me what it is and we'll pray together and see what God may give us. And so but they don't do that today. Today, they've already figured out what they want to do. And they come in to make an announcement. Well, Pastor, we're leaving. Here's what we're going to do. We're going off to the secular college, and I'm going to, I'm going to get a degree at a secular college. I'm going to live in a dorm with a bunch of godless people, not concerned yet about whether or not they're going to go to church or even have a church, have any way to get to church. That's a bad idea. That is a bad idea. There's no way I'd put my kid in a, in a secular dorm. The Christian schools got enough trouble in their dorms. But that's nothing compared to what's in the secular dorms. I wouldn't do it. I'd say stay here, stay at home. Don't live in the dorms. Go and take some classes, that's fine. But you stay here. I'm just talking about wisdom. They don't want wisdom. What they want is what they want, period. And they're going to do what they want. And I don't see what's wrong with it. Well, you've had those experiences. You you know about this stuff, huh? No, they haven't even thought about it. can't be that bad. Believe me, it's worse than that bad. There are things I can't say. I'd be embarrassed to say from the pulpit about things that go on in the dorms in higher places of higher learning. The state universities, we may root for their football teams and their basketball teams, but there's nothing about them where I'd want my kids to be. That's good, man. That wasn't even down in my notes. That was free. Freebie. That's what that was. All right. I'm still dealing with Rehoboam, aren't I? 
By the way, in 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord. And then it says, And all Israel with him. You have influence. And you take a wicked, godless influence, that person will answer to God for how they influence other people. Now, you got a Bible. You say, well, it's my life, preacher. No, not if you're saved. It's his life. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You belong to him. You're to glorify him. I'm to glorify him. Not because I'm a pastor. I'm to glorify him because I was created by him. He bought and paid for me on the cross of Calvary. I owe him to put his will first of all. Well, Rehoboam seeks counsel on handling the people, and he chooses the wrong one. And he never does go to God. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Rehoboam doesn't even cross his mind. I guarantee you there are a lot of young people. They go off to college, whether it's secular so-called Christian or whatever, they never even consider whether or not that's God's will for their life. You ought to be checking with God. Where does God want you to go? What does God want you to be? Now, God doesn't make everybody an evangelist or a pastor. He doesn't do that. I mean, somebody's got to sit and listen to us. Amen. Praise the Lord. See, he wouldn't be able to rule Judah without God. He's, he's a king. He's proud of it. He's going to be tough. He's going to show these people that he is a king. Well, any good thing you have comes from the Lord. There's a reason why a pastor is not to be a novice. Why do you think that is? He doesn't have a lot of sense yet. And too many times it becomes about him instead of about the people and serving God. Then you've got the third king. He ends up with the same problem. That's King Jeroboam. Now go over chapter 12. I said there are only three kings that we're dealing with here. So you may have figured it out already. We're on the last one. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. And Jeroboam, now he is the new king. After he led the people away from Rehoboam, and he's taken the ten tribes, the northern kingdom, off. They belong to him now. He's king. Well, they belong to the Lord. They're still the Lord's people. And notice what he does. He gets to thinking. And sometimes that can be dangerous. It says, And the Lord built Shechem, Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel." Man, that sounds like Aaron, doesn't it? He made one calf, though. He said, Behold thy gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, 
And he said, and the other, he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. Show me any place where God gave a king permission to make anything but a Levi the priest. He's a king. What's his problem? Pride. Pride. He's taken upon him. By the way, God got after Saul and took the kingdom away from him, the first king, because he thought he could do some things that he wasn't to do. Samuel told him, you wait till I come before you go off into battle. He gets tired of waiting. He does his own sacrifice, loses the kingdom because of it. You start getting proud like that. You start messing with God's stuff. God can do his stuff very well. He, he doesn't need our suggestions. Now, you noticed how he argued with himself. He's saying, they're going to kill me. If they keep going down to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. Well, that's not going to happen because God ends up giving him a promise that if he would obey God, that his sons after him would continually sit on the throne. He's going to blow it all for his children because he has figured things out. He's reasoning from a lie. What a shame. And all that's going to help lead to the problem. So you go over it. Now, that's chapter 12. You go back to chapter 11. Notice verses 35 through 38. And it says, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand. Now, this is God speaking to Jeroboam. And he said, and will give it unto thee, even ten tribes, and unto a son will I give one tribe, that David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth, and shalt be king over Israel, and it shall be. Now look at this, here's the promise. If thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways and do that is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, that I will be with thee and build thee a sure house as I built for David and will give Israel unto thee. Now, isn't that a great promise? He said, you obey my word. What was the problem with uh, Solomon? Solomon didn't. Solomon disobeyed God's word. Rehoboam disobeyed God's word. Jeroboam's got a mighty promise. God's given him 10 of the tribes. You obey my word. He says, man, you'll always have somebody sitting on the throne. All you got to do is just obey my word. Do what's right in my eyes, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam gets to thinking, no, they keep going down to Jerusalem. They'll kill me. No, they won't be able to. You remember 1 Samuel chapter 27, Saul has been chasing David. Saul can never catch him. He had him in some tight spots, but he never caught him. He couldn't catch him because God's protection was upon David. And in chapter 27 of the book of 1 Samuel, David starts to thinking, Saul's going to kill me. And I need to go down to the Philistines and live with them so that Saul won't kill him. Saul couldn't kill him. And he goes down there for a year and a half, and you don't find him building, building an altar. You don't find him serving the Lord. 
for a year and a half. Yeah, he may have the Philistines' protection, but he has built for him a great problem that's going to keep him from getting all Israel back at the same time. He's going to pay a price for it. Be careful about your reasoning. We worry about a lot of things that won't happen if we just simply stay faithful to God. Well, young people, you need to get a hold of this for sure. There's always someone who will tell you what you want to hear. You've been taught here about what's right. Has God changed? He hadn't changed. God still feels about everything the way he's always felt about everything. God doesn't change. His word has not changed. Even though there are jokers out there that want it to change in our churches. They want us to try every Bible so that you don't really believe anything the Bible says. Because it can be anything. If you can use this version and that version and that version and that version, this version leaves out a verse, this version over here leaves out half of verses. Uh, you, take, you take a simple word like the word virgin concerning Mary. Now, I don't know how many times I, I knew it one time, but I have forgotten the number. But let's say, for instance, that the Bible says 10 times the Virgin Mary calls her a virgin. I don't want it eight times in my Bible. I want it all 10 times. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, even though they can say, well, hey, in the NIV, it may not have it all the time, but it has it most of the time. So it doesn't do away with the virgin birth of Christ. Yeah, but you realize where you've changed it. If a person's only got that particular book or that passage to read, they don't read virgin, they just read young woman. I want it every time. I don't have the right to change any of the words of God. All those people have done is made it so if you read a verse that you don't want to believe, look around long enough, and it might be in the Ebonics Bible or something else, but uh, you'll finally find a book that won't be as hard on things as what God says in his word. And you'll be doubting God's word. You'll be as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. Well, go over to chapter 13. I'm getting close to being done. You see this right here? That's all that's on the page. We're about done. Chapter 13, look at verse 33. He says, In this thing Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became a sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Now, as a result, in the next chapter, his boy gets sick. And so he, here's a man who was pretty smart and God did make him king and gave him promises. And now he thinks, my boy is sick. He knows he's disobeyed God. He knows that. That man of God had come up and pronounced a curse upon the altars that he had made. He knows that. His boy is sick. And he tells his wife, go to the man of God, the, the next man of God, the prophet, and ask him if our boy's going to recover. Oh, by the way, before you go, put on a costume. Disguise yourself. And he's evidently thinking, if we can fool the man of God, we can fool God. But you can't fool God. He knows everything. I mean, this is really a dumb thing to do. 
but he does it. The man of God was already, he was blind anyway. He couldn't see the mask. He couldn't see the disguise. He was blind. And God told him who that woman was. So you'll notice over in chapter 14, verses 7 through 10, it says, Go tell Jeroboam, Thus shall the, uh, the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people and made thee prince over my people Israel and rent the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it thee, and yet thou hast not been my uh, servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do that only which was right in mine eyes, but hast done evil above all that were before thee, for thou hast gone and made the other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger and has cast me behind thy back. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel and will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man taketh away dung till it be all gone. He lets her know that that child is going to die. So you get down to verse 13. It says, And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day. But what even now? For the Lord shall smite Israel... As a reed is shaken in the water, and he shall root up Israel out of this good land which he gave to their fathers, and shall scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their groves. Now look at this again. Provoking the Lord to anger. For he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam. I see, the king was given to be a blessing to the people. And now judgment's coming upon the people because of the king's sin. King's pride. Well, first we started out with wisdom denied, and the situation's gotten worse because you've got three kings given their position by God, given promises if they would obey God's word, but they're going to do their thing because they're king, and they want everybody to know they're king. They're going to rule by their wisdom, and all of them, are going to bring disaster to the very people they were intended to be a blessing to. You understand why we end up with the mess when the man of God comes to deliver his message. Three horrible kings. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's so many lessons in these passages for us to get a hold of. I pray, dear God, you'd teach us, you'd instruct us that we listen on purpose and allow the word of God its proper place in our life, in our walk. May we understand you mean what you say. We see that throughout the scripture. You mean what you say. God, may we learn that. May we keep our heart with all diligence. Have your way in our lives tonight. You may be dealing with some heart tonight about decisions that they need to make. They need to get the right counsel. They need to seek you in prayer they need to get the right counsel about what they do. And they need to be surrendered to do what you say, even when they feel that they want to do something else. 
Lord, please tonight have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name I ask it. 